special podcast today because of Rockfin, R-O-K-F-I-N forward slash Adam Hunter. Endorse me, spread the word, tell everyone how great it is because I'm giving you what, three, four, five podcasts a week and I love it. I love it, I love it, I love it. Um, I want to thank Speedweed, our sponsor. Marijuana is legal in California. Don't go to the dispensary. Those places, they're great, but you know, there's cops waiting for you. They're like, hey, try this one, that one. You get high, you get pulled over, now you got a DUI. You got things to do. People, life is short, all right? And uh, you get pizza delivered. You get, uh, I don't know, Chinese food delivered. Get marijuana delivered right to your house, okay, or your apartment or your place of work or wherever you are. They will deliver it right to you. Go to uh, speedweed.com, mention roasted. You get $10 off, $100 or more. Uh I was uh, on Twitter today, and uh, the newest outrage is there's a, a comic named um, uh, Dinah Hashem. I don't really know her, but she, she's pretty funny. She did a set on Comedy Central, and uh, about it was a joke about uh, the rapper Extension having $50,000 $50, on him to, uh, to, buy a, to buy a car, and then he got shot and robbed, and then she thought that would be a great Venmo commercial. It was a good joke. I just butchered it, but it was a good joke. And now she's getting death threats, and a comic named James Davis, who I know, um, got very offended and wanted her to get her, her show canceled. And people are like, they, they pulled it from Comedy Central, but only made her set like a thousand times bigger because it was everywhere. And people were just butchering her with, you know, F you and don't mess with extension and a rapper. And at first she kind of doubled down, saying the guy was. Uh, uh, a wife beater, or he beat up his pregnant girlfriend, and he, he was arrested, and all this kinds of stuff. Which, I, look, if that's true, that's, that's that's terrible that someone did that. And uh, she's talked about her own family having some kind of abuse, and it became a big mess. Okay, here are my thoughts on this. As a comedian, I will always defend comedians for jokes. Okay, even if even if it's the worst joke I've ever heard in my life, which that was a good joke that she made. Uh, it's a joke. It was meant to make you laugh. That was the whole intent. Okay, whether uh, whether you like it or not, it was a joke. It, it meant to elicit laughter. Okay, I don't get offended by jokes. Sometimes I don't like jokes, but if I don't like a joke, I don't laugh. No reason to like try to get this girl fired or pulled or whatever or death threats. Come on, it was a joke. Okay, and and, and you getting offended by the joke? And the joke wasn't even about the rapper. It was about Venmo. It was a Venmo joke. So just look, look at the context behind it. And even if it was about the rapper, it was still a joke, all right? People tell me offensive jokes all the time, and sometimes I don't like them. If they're, like, super racist, I'm like, eh, I don't really laugh. I'm like, not, a, not my kind of joke. But I don't get offended because I know the intent, which was to make me laugh, all right? So there's my opinion on it. Don't get this girl fired. Don't get... And, and you know what? Now that I, I know who she is, I actually want to hear more jokes about this woman. I think she was from like, I, I now know about her. I'm on the West Coast. She's on the East Coast. I don't really know much. I don't really, I've never really interacted with her, but there's a whole crop of new funny comics coming up, and I guess she's one of them. And good for her. People are defending her and saying she's a brilliant joke writer. Cool. Uh, cool. And you know, good for her uh, for, for making it to Comedy Central, which is not, not hard. I mean, not easy. Not easy. And uh, so. That's my opinion on that. Uh, what else? So by the time this podcast comes out, the fights will be over. The fights are tonight. The um, the UFC fights, uh, which um, are supposed to be pretty good. Rafael Dos Anjos versus Leon Edwards. Who am I picking for that fight? It's a tough one. Tough one, tough one. Um, I got to go with... Hmm, I mean, Rafael looks so good against Kevin Lee, but Kevin Lee gassed. Kevin Lee's, you know, who's now training over at TriStar, which is good. I think, I think a new look would be good. I think Dewey Cooper and those guys over at uh, Extreme were good for Kevin Lee, but he wasn't maximizing his potential. He was fading in fights. He was kind of quitting in some ways, and uh, I mean, his body was quitting. I'm not sure he was mentally quitting. And good, you know, he thinks that training with GSP would be good for him. Who is training with GSP not been good for? Him? And there's, there's monsters over at TriStar, and uh, if anyone can help you out, it's, it's Faraz Zahabi. I mean, Faraz Zahabi, the only person that 
it doesn't seem to be working for is um, uh, the dude that lost to um, the guy from Team Alpha Male, uh, Mursad Bektik, who seems to be better over at American Top Team, but also has just gotten unlucky. I mean, that fight he had against... Now I'm like remembering that I can't remember people's names, and now I'm not remembering them. But the fight that he had against the damage, Darren Elkins, he was I was at that fight. He was destroying Darren Elkins. I mean, so that fight could have been stopped in the first or second and people would not have complained. And then Elkins just came back from, from nowhere. And I felt bad for Elkins with that Ryan Hall fight because, I mean, Ryan Hall has like two weapons. His jiu-jitsu is like the greatest weapon and now kicks. It's like you were almost like we're watching Ryan Hall become a complete fighter. And he even landed a punch. But man, that guy's a hard guy to fight. He's a hard guy to fight. Um, I, I think that if you're so good at two things, eventually you'll get someone who's extremely well-rounded and will beat you, but so far that's not been the case, and Ryan Hall is just a, is, is a strange bird, but he's so he's so dangerous, especially with this damn heel hooks and everything else, but I thought I thought what's name was going to win that fight? Uh, Elkins. I still think if Elkins fought in like unlimited rounds, there are certain guys that just run out of rounds. Like, if Darren Elkins fought anyone in, like, how, like, old-school boxing was, he'd win every fight. Mitch Clark is another guy. I mean, they're not going to win, like, three-round fights some of the times, but if it was, like, 300 rounds and it was a fight to, like, whoever falls down first and whoever can't fight, I would say Elkins. That's He's one, he's one of my top ten guys that will – that uh, Diego Sanchez runs out of rounds. Um there are certain guys out there that are just so damn tough, and you can't finish them. And they're going to win the fight if it's if it goes to 100 rounds. Masvidal, I mean, what was the last time that guy got finished? The last time he got finished was against Toby Amato, which people forget how great that... If you want to... Some of you new guys that are new into MMA, you want to see one of the coolest submissions of all time. I remember, look at the Toby Amato fight versus Darren Elkins. This fight... That, I mean, I mean, versus... Uh, talking about um against Masvidal I mean Masvidal this guy was he was lighting Amada up I mean he was just beating the shit out of him almost to the point where it was like it looked like a, a boy versus a man and I'm not talking about an Aaron Pico boy like a like a seven-year-old boy versus a, a grown man and then he, he picked him up and he did some kind of inverted reverse triangle when he was up in the air and and tapped Masvidal out and it was insane but Joey Vegas, Joey Varner, who's a, a good friend of mine, great friend. He's, he's got a beautiful wife who's now pregnant, and Joey's a great guy. He's also a, a really tough guy as well. But Joey Varner told me that the way that Masvidal was looking before he got stopped, this guy is going to be the next champion. And, you know, he was off by like six or seven years, but look at Masvidal. I mean, it's funny how, like, sometimes you could see a guy lose a fight – but just know that they're going to be amazing in the future. Kevin Lee was that like that when Kevin Lee first fought um, his first fight against uh, Ally Quinta. You knew there was something special about him. Uh, same goes for uh, Dustin Poirier versus Max Holloway. Holloway, you were like, even though he lost that fight, you're like, this guy's going to be good. Brock Lesnar, I remember when Brock lost to Frank Mir in that first one where he just got lost in a minute and a half. Rampage Jackson said to Dana White, that guy's going to be champ one day. And people are saying that about Pico, still, about Aaron Pico. They're saying, this guy's going to be champ. So, just because a guy loses, sometimes it's not necessarily the loss, it's how good he looked in the loss, that if this dude stays on, you know, stays healthy, uh, out of bad relationships, uh, gets his money right, doesn't stay away from drugs, there's a lot of different things. You know, I mean, there are plenty of fighters out there. I mean, a guy who's fighting in bare-knuckle boxing coming up, is uh, Melvin Gallard against uh, Isaac Valley Flag, which is, I can't wait to watch that fight on a different note, but Melvin Gallard's a guy that if he just would have stayed, you know, center, if he just would have actually, you know, he seemed to have a lot of, you know, off 
off out of the octagon distractions, whether it be cocaine or partying or this or that. And, you know, it's, it's not just about how you look in the cage. I mean, everybody knows a guy from high school that could have made pro if he would have. I mean, how many guys out there? How many guys on my, on my wrestling team in high school and in, in uh, you know, middle school and high school that were like, man, if that guy just would have stayed. I mean, just from coaching, just from coaching wrestling, I'll tell you, if I've been coaching for, I don't know, 13 years. And there's always those kids in middle school that you're like, man, this kid could be a state champion. This kid could be a Division One All-American. This kid could be... And then most of the time, those kids don't do it. A lot of times because they have other things going on, whether it's, you know, other sports, whether it's football or, or track or baseball or something else where maybe it's a little easier than wrestling. It's, it's less time-consuming. It's more fun. It's, you know, whatever it is. But then you, there are the kids that, like, just love the sport that, you know, they're like uh, one to 10, they're about sixes in seventh grade, maybe in the seventh grade, they're, they're, they're sevens or eights. I was like that. I was never the most talented wrestler. I wasn't the most talented at anything. Okay. But I just loved it. Same with comedy. I was in comedy. I took comedy classes, a bunch of them when I first started, which are good and bad. That's a whole other thing. It's good because you're around people that suck as bad as you and you can develop a community and friends and yada, yada. And then, you know, you're not alone, but it's bad because if you think you're going to become a comic in three months after taking a class, you're, you're just, it's like saying, I'm going to make the UFC after three months of, uh, of like training. It's just not going to happen. You know? Um, so that being said, it's not the person with the most talent or the person with the most natural talent or the person that most, you know, it's the person that stays in there, person that shows up. That's almost all of it. All of it is show, showing up is most of it. And, and I told the kid, there was a kid, I was, uh, I was coaching wrestling one day. This kid, one of my favorite kids, he was crying. He got into a fight with his, his dad, and they're really close. But he, just, he was having a rough day, and he didn't want to be there. And uh, and I kind of got, you know, I'm, I'm the coach, and I could tell the kid was not having a good day. And I, and I told him, I said, hey, man, look, these are the days that are going to make you the champion. You know, it's not the days where you're feeling good, and you can beat everybody, and you're feeling healthy, and you're well-rested, and then you can just go out there and dominate. Those are not the days that make you the champion. No way. It's the days you don't want to be there. Same with comedy. Anyone can, not anyone, but there are a lot of comics that can have great sets when it's a hot crowd. You could take an average comic, and he could look like George Carlin out there when the crowd's high, based on crowd response. Now, obviously not based on material and stuff, but then... It's when you don't want to be there. Maybe your girlfriend dumped you or uh, maybe your dog died or maybe you're just in a bad mood or you got, you're sick or you're jet lag and you drove and, you're, and your, your car broke down and your rent is due and all, all that kind of shit. Times that you don't want to be there. You don't feel good. Your voice isn't well. You, you're just, and then when you have to be funny and you have a good set and you pull it off, that's when you're on your way to becoming a good comic. That's when you're on your way. It's when you don't want to be there and you perform and you make yourself perform. That's when you're a pro. Okay? Anyone could be good when uh, the crowd's hot. It's when, you, it's when, it's when the life sucks and, and you step up to the challenge and you come across and you, it, it's good. That's when you know, you know you're on your way. That's what separates the men from the boys or the, the women from the girls. Why is there always the men from the boys, right? It should be the women from the girls, too. Now, uh, look, I, I may not know that much about politics or science or whatever, but, you know, when it comes to uh, the human condition, when it comes to powering through, that's when I know some stuff, okay? I know some stuff about getting punched in the face, Literally and figuratively. Mostly figuratively, but okay. I've been beaten down. But I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going anywhere. So I know people are like, when's your Netflix special? And when's your this? And when's your that? Just know, people, that I'm not going anywhere. And once people realize you're not going anywhere, that's when they give you stuff. Because they're like, you know what? We're going to have to deal with this person. And... A lot of times when you finally do make it to the masses, I'd rather be overprepared and have too much stuff than be underprepared because I've seen it. I've seen people not be able to rise up and they fall apart. How many times have you seen that? Remember Michael Grant? Okay, Michael Grant, the boxer. Remember him? I remember him. Okay, he was like 30 and 0. 
they put him up against Lennox Lewis. Lennox just fucking tore him up in, what, two rounds, three rounds? He wasn't ready, okay? I think he beat Galata in a fight, and Galata quit. And Galata should have won that fight, but he quit, all right? You don't want to be Michael Grant. No offense, Matt Grant. Probably doing very well right now, but you don't want to be that guy. You want to be Bernard Hopkins. You want to be the guy that they should have given the, 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 the title to or uh, the thing, and he was just ready. He was ready when he fought... Um, uh, Felix Trinidad. He was the underdog, but he'd been there and he embarrassed him. He was ready when he fought Kelly Pavlik. All right. You want to be Bernard Hopkins. You want to be the guy they should have given it to before or the guy that's ready and prepared. That's who you want to be. Not Michael Grant. All right. So, uh, that's my little speech for today. Uh, we got Stefan Bonner on the show and, uh, thank you guys so much. And keep listening to M. May Roasted. Bonner, one of the best fighters ever. How are you, man? Oh, I'm awesome, man. Thanks for that intro, man. Fuck. It's true. So you hear that, everyone? Saw... What was that? Go ahead. Go ahead. So last time I saw you was in Las Vegas. We were in Las Vegas together. Uh, I had a great time hanging with you. But you also, I saw uh, you do pro wrestling against Kenny Lester, who actually, uh. actually knew. And you, 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 you killed happened, it. You were great. Happened to be an Arizona State guy. Was a freshman when Bader was a senior. Small world. Yeah. Yeah, and drop the big. What do you think of my new finish? The Macho Man elbow drop. I, I loved it. So you, you're like, hey, I'm, I'm having a pro wrestling match. So I show up. It's on. It's on Fremont Street outside. Like out. Like anyone can sort of just watch. And it was so entertaining. It started at 11:30 at night. You went on at like, I think twelve thirty. It started. It was real late. Yeah, yeah, really late. Um, uh, you had a, you had a great match, and you did and an off the off the top rope. Uh, the macho, the man. macho man. But then you broke your elbow. No, I, I whacked my wrist. You know, I, I elbowed the right elbow, but my left arm was hanging out. And the first thing that to smack the ground, to smack the the canvas, was my left wrist. But uh, ain't no thing. It's about I mean, time I fuck, fuck myself up pro wrestling. It's been really, really mild so far. Like, I haven't even been sore after a match. So, yeah, it's I was due. I was due. And Macho Man's dead, so I could steal his move. No one could say anything. Now, it uh, seems like you're a natural fit. I mean, you got you look great. You're, you're huge. Are, do you want to be like in the WWE one day or the TNA? Oh God, no. Maybe TNA a little bit, but it's it's like it's like what's your motivation? What's your reason? Why are you doing it? You know, if if I was doing it because I I wanted to be more famous and wanted to have more random people coming up and taking pictures of me, then I'd like try to make it my life and make it my best my mission to get in the WWE. But it's a good hobby. You do realize. I, I don't want to, like, rag on WWE, but, man, most of those guys are fucking miserable, run ragged. They don't make as much money as you think they do. They don't get the, their travel expenses covered, you know? A book and be broke right there. And it's their life, you know? I got a gym open now. I got my Monday through Thursday pretty packed up here. Real water, the gym, um, you know? And weekends open for pro wrestling. It's the perfect plan. And the reason I'm doing pro wrestling is because it gives me that feeling of, just being completely free, going in there and creating a fight scene, breaking a sweat, getting high on fucking adrenaline, which is like my favorite drug. And it's not so serious, you know. I don't. I could do it the next day. Like that, the, the match you saw, I had a match earlier that night at FSW. That was the, the show that Frank Mir and Tom Lawler was on, Kevin Cross and me. And that was actually a terrible match, my worst match ever. But I didn't even have time to focus on... You know, like the shitty match, I immediately suck it up and go right to Fremont Street and make up for it with a good match. Well, I was proud of you, man. It was, I was, I was really proud of you because it was, it was cool seeing you in there and like it seemed like you were having fun. Yeah, and I was, I'm proud of you too for landing that menage back in the day. <laughs> I, 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 afterwards, we talked about about threesomes and uh, girls and porn stars and. Oh uh, yes. Uh, now you you've come a long way, man. Because a couple months ago, 
you know, for, well, first I had you do stand-up comedy. The first time you did comedy, you kind of blew the lights, and then you beat up a, a heckler <laughs> in the green room. Oh, yeah. Well, um, I mean, come on. I, I, I gave him a little wrist-flop throw. Uh, well, yeah, of course. The guy had it coming to him. The guy put his hands on you. And then tell, he he told you that you sucked, and then you then the, Steven Seagal wrist locks him and said, "Who's yeah?" It was out? completely completely legal what I did. I actually said, "Hey, you know, he insulted me, said I sucked," and I'm like, "Okay, just gotta deal with guys like this if I'm gonna try the stand up thing." So, you know, just thanked him for his honesty and walked off. But then once he followed me and grabbed my back and my shoulder and started repeating it, then it was like, "Hey." Right? Legally, once someone puts their hands on you, you could remove it. It's so. over. But your eyes, well, I was worried because your eyes, your pupils look a little bit bigger than, than normal. Like, you look like uh, somebody, like, remember in Naked Gun when Reggie Jackson's like, I must kill the queen? Ah, uh, yes. You sort of had that, like, that yeah, thing. I, yeah. I, I was actually, I thought OJ was a little scarier in that movie. <laughs> But then, so that was all nice, OJ. Of course. Yeah, right. But then a couple of weeks later, we saw what happened. You got the DUI at like noon or something, and it was it was in rough. It was, <laughs> it was like 2 p.m., yeah. You were in rough shape. Uh, and then I saw you again, and you had you had an ankle bracelet on, and we had like a long heart-to-heart. Um, and I, I was concerned about you. And I, But seeing you last week, you got, you're doing stand-up comedy, you're wrestling, and you opened up your own gym – and you seem genuinely happier and in a better place, man. So I was really happy for you. Yeah, I don't know what it is, man. But maybe it's that CBD concoction I've been on for a while. Because, uh, like, right after I retired, plus coming to grips with, like, you know, just ending one chapter of your life. And then for a while after I retired, my brain was really fucked up. Like, you know, I just could not sleep more than, like, an hour or two. And after, like, 12 months of that, you go a little crazy. And uh, it's just like the, I mean, the solution was when I woke up at fucking 2 a.m. Every, every day, it's no big deal if it happens once a week, but after months of it, it's just easier to fucking slug a little liquor and lay back down. And then it runs a little more and a little more. And then all of a sudden, you know, the drinking gets out of control and uh, you get in trouble. And uh, I just felt like, yeah, I wasn't sleeping right. I just couldn't control the impulse. I couldn't believe it. I never had a drinking problem in my life. Here I am, almost 40 years old. I'm getting all this trouble drinking. I can't control it. Can't control my impulses. Can't sleep more than two hours. And I don't know if it's just because my brain healed from being retired. And uh, and then I've been on that CBD for a while now. But now it's like I'm sleeping through the night. I don't even feel like it. I was thinking about that the other day. Just like the thought of like guzzling down some liquor. Yuck. I, it's just, I don't know. It's weird. It's weird. Just, so, you, uh, the, so you couldn't the, see. The, now, what is this? Now, what exactly I, I've been saying this a long time, too, and I think part of the problem was just having a purpose, you know, and I kind of felt lost. And, you know, and then it made it easier to drink. And, and uh, yeah, lately, man, I it's just ever since, um, I hate to say this, but uh, Breezy, that girl I was seeing, ended up, like, committing suicide. That was really, that really messed me up. But at the same time, it just, uh, after that, it, it was like something changed in me. Where, uh, I you, really haven't thought about drinking. It hasn't been a problem. It hasn't really been an issue. Before, I was going to meetings like every morning, and it was like I still wanted. There was a part of me that wanted to, but that part of me kind of died. Well, that's great, man, because you have a lot to give, and you're a very, uh, you're one of those guys that, it's just, it's just fun to be around you, man. Like I have fun when I have fun just hanging with you. So I mean, even those stories you were telling me that when you ended up uh, getting into a fight and you ended up uh, oh Iceland, when you were in Iceland, like what what was what was that? What happened in Iceland? You broke your hand. Yeah, I was out with my best friend since kindergarten, who is another guy. He's been off the the liquor for a while because he is just a notorious troublemaker when he drinks. And sure enough, we're out and. uh, we were at the bar, dance with some girls, and, like, the guy, you know, was uh, trying to claim those girls and flex his nuts and started some stuff with his friends. And the bouncer saw him. It was like, you know, like, you guys all got to go. I remember saying, what are you, an idiot? These guys are saying they're going to kick the shit out of us. Like, how, why would you just throw us out altogether? I think the guy wanted to see us get his ass kicked, the bouncer. 
Oh, well. So he threw us all out together. And my best friend, being the drunk state he was, didn't really want to fight. So he thought if he just took me down just out of the blue and started fighting with me, it would freak those guys out and they wouldn't want to fight us. So he started doing that. And then the guys just sat in there and watched us. And then I kind of pushed them while we got back up and they still wanted to beat our ass. Wow. <laughs> he started fighting with the one the other guy came at me. I mean, I landed a beautiful spinning back kick. And, um, and, like, right when I did, another guy grabbed me, and I instantly, like, had him in a rear naked choke and put him out. And then I turn, and the guy that Scully was, had, like, you know, the collar tied up with these, like a hockey fight, slugging each other. And then I went behind, and I grabbed him, and I put him in a choke, too. And we were kind of on a hill, so I'm pulling over the hill, and it was, you know, and it, now I'm thinking about it, it reminded me kind of of the pitcher's mound, because on the way there in the plane, I had this little portable DVD player, and I had Chuck Liddell's, like, all knockouts, you know. Like, Chuck Liddell's greatest hits I kept watching. I'm like, man, I'm going to start throwing my right hand like that. I was just so, like, um, just motivated to start bombing on guys like Chuck. And then that, that flashed through my head. While I was choking that third guy, instead of just choking him out, I had to let him go. And then he turned around, and I was on the pitcher's mound. I threw like a cross between a Chuck Liddell right hand and a Roger Clemens fastball. And uh, and next thing you know, I'm waking up. Oh, uh, this ain't my bed. Uh, oh, that's right. I'm on vacation. And I, holy <laughs> shit, I'm in a jail cell. Wow. Get oh, there's blood all over my shirt. Oh, my God, my hand's obviously broken. Cop comes up. Hey, you're up. You want to give a statement? I'm like, not, not just yet, sir. Yes, my friend will have to help me with a uh, piece of snipe back together first. So, um, turned out the guy I hit happened to be a notorious troublemaker. This is 2006. I'm about to fight James Urban in uh, a month, right? And like, fuck, you know, like I got to applaud the fight. So, you know, anyways, socialist country being what it is, um, I'm gonna leave out the story of the menage. All right. <laughs> Go on. So we'll just talk about court. So socialist country that it is, um, they, um, instead of, like, my friends had to go back, like, the, the well, like, the day, like, uh, you know, the next day pretty much. Uh, but court wasn't until Wednesday. So instead of keeping me in jail, they put me up at the Radisson and gave me a per diem. Like, wow. And uh, then I went to court, and uh, they really didn't have any witnesses because uh, the one guy was getting, like, you know, surgery on his broken orbital, and the other guy was unconscious, and yeah, he really didn't. And so, and the guy happened to be like a notorious. Uh, he had a reputation for um, starting shit with tourists, harassing tourists, and like shocking girls. So, um, I, I, you know, I went up there and, and delivered an Oscar-worthy performance, and they let me off with uh, probation. I got a huge hospital bill for the guy's surgery, and um, I wasn't allowed. I wasn't allowed back to. Iceland for 10 years. That was wow. Uh, anybody so I could go back now. Did anybody Does no one recognize me? No. No. No one wow. Googled me or anything. It was before cell right before cell phones had all the, you know, like social media was big and perfect timing. Because nowadays if that happened, I'd be so dead. It'd be a big deal. Oh, so then I come back to America. I have a layover in Boston. I cut my cast off because... You know, I got a fight coming up. No one can know my hand's broken. And I run into who at Boston Airport, of all people? Fucking oh. Chuck Liddell. Ah. Yeah, the guy who inspired the knockout. And then he put his <laughs> hand out, and he gave me the, the firmest grip of a, a handshake that hurt so bad, but I just had a smile. And then I ended up going back to Chicago, went to the boxing gym, right, got my sweat on, and then I go to the ER, Get my X-ray. Oh my God, Dana! I broke my hand boxing today. I gotta pull out the fight. Here's my X-ray. And then Joe Rogan, like Bonner can't fight in the main event tonight. That'll be postponed to the next Ultimate Fight night. He broke his hand training. Here's the X-ray. You showed the X-ray. Wow. So and it was all a lie. Now, were you were you laughing when you saw the X-ray on TV? There was a part of me that admired myself, my ah. deviousness. I won't lie. Now, what did you do before you were fighting? What kind of jobs did you do? Really, I started, like, you know, I got my black belts, taekwondo, hapkido, when I was, like, 
what freshman high school or something. I was wrestling. I, uh, you know, so from a young age, I'd tell you teach, we once you get your black belt, you teach, you know, the lower ranks. Um, and then when I got to college, I started training people. And then right out of college, you know, I got a job right downtown a block away from the Carlson Gracie gym at a, another gym training people. And that's what I did until I got on the ultimate fighter. Wow. And I'm doing to... now. I'm getting back, you know, full circle. Here it is. Yeah, now you're training again. Is it do you like training people? Yeah. Yes. I actually do. I forgot how much I loved it. It became a job and then I became really old and I began to hate going to the gym. Like, you know, I'd be in so much pain. I knew I was that slow down, lost the step, my reactions, my strength was you know, and that it wasn't as enjoyable as it was when you're young and getting better and improving. Or even when you're strong in your mid-30s and you're a horse, you know, it's just not as much fun at the end. And, uh, yeah, and I was I was beginning to hate it. Now I'm going back in there, and I don't have to go through this shit. I don't have to be the one pushing myself till I throw up in the bucket because i got a fight coming up. You know, I go in there and coach and share my knowledge, and it's a whole different experience. And I'm really loving being at the gym, yeah. Now, what I have to ask you, when you fought Anderson Silva, you were pretty much black at that point. Why were you so tan? Oh man, yeah. We had uh I had been in Florida for a couple of weeks. Um and uh we just frick, man, we were I was trained with Batista, but I was like weekends we'd just go to the beach or go fishing or go on a boat. And that was actually when I got the call to fight Anderson, we were um fuck, we were way off the, the southern coast of Florida on uh we were doing some lobster fishing. We did some dives and poached some lobsters and I got the call. Boom. I need to fight wow. Anderson three weeks. Fuck yeah. Now, why did Batista pick you to train with? Well, Rafferty's buddies with him down there in Florida, and he's wanting to do an MMA fight. Rafferty's like, oh, Bonner's a, a hot, so he'll be a good training partner, you know? Why don't you get him down here and help you get ready for this MMA fight? So I went down there a few weeks. And I had been on the shelf, too. He's a big, strong guy. And so before I went down there for a month is when I was like, man, I got to get some strength back. I've been on the shelf, you know, like didn't plan on fighting again. I was working for the UFC. So I did like a, a cycle for a month, you know. And, uh, yeah, before I left, I was like, yeah, I'm not going to take this with me. I, you know, I'll just leave it, you know. I went down there and trained him for a couple of weeks. And uh, then, the, I got, then I got to call to fight Anderson. And I did the math, and it had like a four-week detection window. I'm like, oh, my God, how perfect. Like, I just happened to get my strength back. I did two weeks of MMA training. I went off the juice. It's going to be out of my system. And I'll be able to at least give them a competitive fight. Hadn't I, like, did that, I would have been really weak and out of shape. And, like, I wouldn't even have taken the fight because I knew I would have had no chance. And I'm not like that, you know? I, I Like, if I, you know, I can't just go in there and lay down. So it, it's not in me. So I thought, oh, my God, it's going to be, even if I don't win, I'll give them a Rocky Balboa type fight. And, I went in there, and I ate his fucking counter right hand, and, oh, my God, this was nothing. I'm like, oh, my God, he's not going to be able to knock me out. This is awesome. And I got really excited, and then freaking lay, like, and I didn't, at the time, when he punched me, taking the account that he needs, like, a fucking mule, and he delivered just some powerful knee to the solar plexus that made me go fetal. You have no choice, you know? That's just, so you, that's your, so you were retired. So you retired, so you did a cycle because you're like, I'm training Batista. Yeah, weighs about 80 pounds. And, and I didn't have to worry about getting tested anyway. I, was, I had taken a job with the UFC. Like, had, you know, Forrest ended up doing, you know? And he was like, just, he just got hurt. He was going to, like, start working for him. I was all excited. Oh, my God, me and Forrest could do so much stuff together, you know? I really wasn't doing anything anyway. I was just, you know, uh, every once in a while they'd send me on a little job and I'd get a paycheck, and it was freaking so easy. You know, I had made, and I was doing TV work. And I should have just said, no, you want to fight Anderson? Like, no. But I had been going around pissing and moaning to give me, like, a fucking, you know, a big name. Like, I just really wanted, like, force our rampage. Like, one of those fights I could really make entertaining. Who cares if I win or lose? I'll just fucking, like, the first Forrest fight. Like, it was so good because, like, I was kind of just, I really didn't care if I went out lost. My plan was just go in there and put a barn burner of a fight on. And I think that showed, you know? I think when you're really attached to the outcome is, you know, it's like the fans could tell that. And I think that's part of the reason that fight went over, you know? Like, it was just, it was really, like, uh, inspiring just to, you know, see someone just 
Like, you know, if I really cared about winning, I would try to get a takedown in the third or something like that. But I didn't have to say I didn't car. I just, like, watched my last couple of fights in the UFC. It was all about getting a win. So I could have a winning streak. So I could parlay that into a big kind of fight. Like another fight with Flores or Rampage, where I could just go nuts. And it really wasn't about winning or losing. And I'd make it entertaining. That was, like, what I was uh, petitioning for with Dana. So didn't work out. Didn't want to give me that. And it was like, you know what? You fucking did enough. Why don't you just take a job with us? And it was like, yeah, all right. Fine. You know? And, uh, you know, then they got in that jam where the co-main event and the main event, I think Aldo was on that card and someone else. And they were going to scrap the card. And then they called me. And it was like, if you're a real company man, like in my mind, this is what I thought, you'll step up. You know, you'll step up and you'll fight your fucking... And it's, oh, my God, it's the biggest name you could ever think of. It's a win-win, the Michael Jordan of the sport. All I got to go in there is fight my freaking ass off, and I'm going to be doing motivational speeches after this about being awesome. And you, like, you, you also landed some big punches against them. Yeah, I was really tight, though, you know? Like, yeah, I was, you see, I, I, yeah, I wasn't loose. My punches weren't really... I mean, I was sad. I was nervous, man. But I hit on the shelf and, you know, I know Michael Jordan and the sport in his backyard on a couple of weeks' notice. So, yeah, I was a little tight. I mean, but when 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 you saw him take your punch, were you like, shit, this guy can take my punch? No, no. I was just I'm saying to myself, like, let's get loose and get in the rhythm. You know, like, you're a little tight. Like, I knew I was. And he even said, too, in the clinch, he, could, he, he, he heard of my breathing that I was tense. And he was right. Oh, what did he say to you? No, it was just in the post my press conference. Dana said something like that. Like, he said, uh, I'm like, what did he say? He's like, oh, he said something about, like, when you were in clinch, you could tell with your breathing that you were tense. And he said, you know, what? He's smart, because I was. So then you fly back on a private jet with Dana, right? Yes. Didn't even get to enjoy Rio immediately after the fight. I'm thinking I at least get to the next day. It's like, no. Get your fucking bags. Like it would be a car. Got a couple hundred thousand dollars for that fight, right? I mean, he must have made a big, big paycheck for that. Yeah, I mean, I can't complain. But like in the end, it wasn't worth like you know, being yeah. I, well, I mean, now it's like I'm finally coming around to it. But like, it was real devastating. Like I really like fell in love with the UFC when I saw it in like '94 for the first time, and you know. Just did, done martial arts and wrestling my whole life, and I just started off doing it as a hobby. Never thought I'd be in the UFC, and then I ended up not only being in it, but I had the fight that kind of saves the company, and I have a guaranteed tenure with them. And this is like the greatest thing I could ever ask for. Like the UFC is the coolest thing that ever existed, you know. And then I go and I have it. I'm all done. I'm finally out of this shit. I don't have to get in there and fucking sacrifice myself anymore. I got a cushy job, and then. You know, I get called up and think, man, if I'm really a company guy, I'll step up and do this one. And it's also like, how can I say no? I just been going around asking for a big name, asking, asking, all of a sudden, boom, here it is. What are you going to say no now? Fucking, that doesn't make sense. So, like, yeah, now looking back on it, of course, no, I, I wish I would have just been a pussy. No way, I'm not fighting him. Okay, give your job back and paycheck and health insurance, and your wife still loves you. Great. But, oh, I mean, was uh, there a party no. that would have, that wanted to tell Dana, hey, listen, I, I took a cycle. I don't know if I'm going to test clean. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah, I did. But at the same time, like, Wayne, who got me the fight, was, you know, he's a real piece of work. And he was all like, you know, because he was trying to get me the, the another fight with Forrest because I had a three-fight winning streak, like a big fight, and he wasn't able to. And he just couldn't get anywhere but Dana. And then he's like, finally, here it is. But I got you. Dude, go take this fight. Trust me, you go take this fight, and I'll get you. It, it wasn't like, I, my show money was 37000 So it wasn't like, um, it, it, I wasn't really guaranteed a lot of money. But he was saying, hey, you take this fight, and I'll make sure after the fight, I'll fucking hit up, make sure Dana fucking rewards you for doing this. So right. I went in the fight not knowing that I'd get a bonus, you know. Um, I was just trusting Wayne, but it was at the same time, like, I'm not going to say no. And he go, I got it, buddy. I got it for you. We're going to get paid. This is going to be it. Uh, uh, this is all you've been asking for. And, like, part of me is like, oh, fuck, no, I'm happy now. I don't want to. And then the other part's like, oh, God, like, you know, I'm kind of hypocrite of my, oh, they won't give me that big fight. Damn it, damn it, damn it. Here it is. And then I don't want it. Like, oh, I feel like a pussy. So, yeah. 
the moral of the story is just go ahead and feel like a pussy and keep your job. <laughs> well, I like so when you find out that you get popped, I mean, is your is your wife mad at you? Are you is Oh my god, are you kidding me? She's in labor. Her water breaks. We're in the hospital and the fucking news comes out. Oh, like oh my god. It's like the happiest time of my life at the same time like the just the <laughs> the most to me like just the worst thing that could have possibly came of it, like, happened. Like, no. Like, Ray went, oh, you're the boy, and they put a picture up, and people are calling you a cheater and this and that. And then, you know, like, man, like, yeah. Uh, uh, that pretty much did me in with the whole, you know, marriage thing. Or after that. Uh, yeah, but, I mean, give me a break. You weren't taking it to, to fight Anderson Silva. You were taking it to with the team. Yeah, no one believes you. Everyone know you're a liar, you're juicing, you, you know you're a cheater. No one believes you. No one believes yeah, but you. you had what? You had what? I mean, I'm looking at your record but, right now. You but the 20, beautiful... You fights that never got caught with anything. I think the, the magic of it now is that both Anderson and John have been popped a couple of times. So, like, you know, I'm... Well, white guy, medium athleticism, and they're on it too. And I'm the cheater. Like, man, both his brothers are standouts in the NFL. Like, he's uh, the greatest fighter to ever grow, you know, greater than Anderson and Silva, the like was Jordan. The star. And I'm the cheater. Yeah. That's ridiculous. Uh, when you fought Mark Coleman, how strong was Mark Coleman? Yeah, he, that guy, man, he was. He was incredibly strong. He was like, he just so solid. It was like his double leg was just being like run over by a bulldozer. It wasn't like as all. And he, I also I had him in a crucifix. I, I give the guy the single so I could fish a crucifix, and I destroy guys. So I beat him up the whole first round from there, but I couldn't break his grip. He had an ISO grip, and it was like his hands were cemented. And I'm popping my hips as hard as they could. And every, I break everyone's grip. When it's my hips against their hands, you know? It's a, not a, a fair match. And that, I couldn't fucking bust that guy. Yeah, so that, he was that, just so solid. Just so, like, that's what I said. Like, you know, the double leg, just like, brr, like a, you got one over. That was one of my favorite UFCs, UFC 100. You, you were on such a great card. It was like Brock Lesnar. And Frank, Frank Mir, right? Yeah. Where did you watch that fight? Uh, right out, I came out. I had just fought Coleman. Me and Hendo were sharing the locker room. He fought Bisping. I come back. Uh, he comes back to the locker room, and I was watching it. There's no sound on the TV back there. But after the first round, I could see him. They're showing Henderson on the stool, and Henderson's actually talking and saying something. Was, instead, he usually has the corner shouting instructions at the fighter. And, and Henderson kept saying something to his corner. So I went with that. He came back, um, I go, Dan, what, you know, what were you saying to your corner after the first round? He goes, oh, I kept, I kept telling him, like, he hits like a bitch. Watch this. I'm going to knock <laughs> him out. He hits like a bitch. <laughs> wow. Oh, yeah. Wow. But, I'm, but where did you watch the, the Brock Lesnar-Amir fight? So, yeah, then I went right back out um, in the stands, you know. I, I, yeah, it was the main event. So I just sat, like, in one of the first rows there. Uh by the cage, yeah, and I watched it. Watched it out, out out of the dressing room among the fans, freshly, freshly off a fight too. Now, I usually don't do that, you know. I usually stay in the locker room, but I wanted to be out there, and then it was awesome. Brock Lesnar, you know, the shit he said after the fight was just great. He was spewing <laughs> in the camera and like said he's gonna bang his life and drink a course. His Budweiser won't. Remember that was some good stuff. Yeah, that was one of the best. Now, after, <laughs> after the Ultimate Fighter, I mean, cause, I mean, you're a good-looking guy, but you're like, you know, fan mail and numbers and girls. It must have been crazy, right? Like just women throwing themselves at you. Yeah, I mean. It wasn't not like a like a rock star, but it like you know, wasn't bad. Especially if like you know, like from where you come from, like I mean no one ever does that. Everyone's gotta put in some work. Yeah, of course. But it's so funny, I'm the kind of guy though that um 
Like, uh, if if I actually like her, I'm totally going to shoot myself in the foot, you know? <laughs> like, yeah, when I care and I go for it, like, I totally fuck it up every time, you know? So. Wow, what do you do? Like, what, what are some of the things that you would say? <laughs> I don't know. It's just, it's just um, I think it's just true in all life. Like, the more you kind of try and obsess about something, the more impossible it becomes. But you also have yeah, a lot of very awkward energies. Like I, I can see like you like just saying something that you think is funny and it's just going to like really. Oh yeah. Really H- sad. Habitually, habitually crossing the line of decency. Like but then again, you that is a new. Like, like, it, it, like it is a new. Like, like, yeah, exactly. Like, what did you like, Um, I said, oh yeah, like uh, this, this is just this place is just like the Playboy Mansion. If I could just drink my way past the C-section scars and stretch marks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that was a bad one. And then I did a kitty therapy joke that was, you know, about, you know, the strip club. I'm getting more benefit out of coming to the strip club and pouring my heart out in the freaking private room to a stripper than I am going to anger man- court-ordered anger management from, you know, a battery charge. Right. So I might do a whole bit on that, and then I kind of want him back a little bit, you know. Well, it seems like like you're a really nice guy, and you're not a dirtbag, but just because, like, your line of work, you end up, like, taking these weird jobs where you're, like, at a crypto strip club where they get paid in crypto, or you're, like, at the lingerie fighting league doing announcing. You always end up in these, like, strange situations. Yeah, well, man, I, I get stale if I stay in one place. And honestly, the indie wrestling world's awesome. I could go to, like, you know how many cities I've been to that I never would have went to and met people and hung out, and it's great, man. I had never even been to Montreal. I did a show up there. It was a great time. Great group of guys. Uh, same thing, like, Tacoma, Washington. So I'm getting all these chances. I had matched with in South Carolina. I just did some seminars in Columbia, but that's that's what I need to do. Like I said, like I was getting in all that trouble um, drinking that partially, mostly, you know, for the brain damage for one, and then it had to heal itself. I know, I know that for sure. But also because of the purpose, you know, I didn't feel like I was aligned with my purpose at all. And this totally does, you know, I have my Monday and Thursday nights in full here with the gym and the, the job and then the, the weekends open to get the hell out of here and not stay stale and go nuts and see the world and, and you know, interact and meet people. And true, if I'm going to go out there and uh, make money for someone to help them out, I'd much rather be a middle-class guy who's trying to pay his mortgage than fucking feeding Dana White or Vince McMahon's fucking fat pocket somewhere so they could get another private jet, you know? Like, yeah. think about the good thing I did with the fight with Forrest. It really blew MMA up across the whole world and from what I hear, save the UFC and this and that. But at the same time, it made them a monopoly and it crushed a lot of the competition. On my Instagram, Kyle Weichardt has a great post last year when I cornered him in glory. How he said that. K1 and the UFC were neck and neck. They were both pretty much underground. Unless you were a hardcore sport, you really didn't know either one. But I was always a Muay Thai guy. I loved kickboxing K1. That was my thing. You know, I tried to wrestle a little in high school. I hated it. I didn't like it. I loved Muay Thai. But after that Bonner Griffin fight, K1 just died. And next thing you know, the UFC blew up. All my coaches are like, you got to do MMA. You got to do MMA. You got to train your ass. What did you guys? And, and he, he did. He actually fought in Bellator and knocked the guy out. And he had a decent MMA career, but he hated it. He was forced into it partially because of me. You know? And um, I just feel with the pro wrestling, uh, if, just doing it like – my motives for doing it, to kind of be free to see the world, to help middle-class people by myself. Um, yeah. I forgot yeah. my point, dude. I got no, I, mean, no you're, I like it. I love it. You know, I mean, you are like the, you're the blue-collar fighter. You're the guy that, like, I'm, I'm the blue-collar comic. I mean, I... I, yeah, I a lot. people think I'm like missing out on that. I'm like, do you understand? Like those WWE guys, they have the same night 300 times a year. They have no freedom. They don't get to say what they want. Like they get their their life is the hotel, the airport, and the inside of the arena with the same fucking people. That would drive me nuts, man. Yeah, you know. Yeah, so like, I go to a city, but this place is cool. I'm gonna stay a couple more days. You know, I could do that. 
And it's it's great, you know, and I don't care if I'm any more famous or not, you know. No, I this just is, look at mob. I, I, I see you. I, I've hung out with you. I mean, people come out. You'll be sitting there, and people, like, they love you. They come, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. You know, take a picture, a picture. You say yes to everybody, but you're right, you know. It's yeah, fine. that too, oh. man. Like, when people come up to me, they usually, like, just start laughing. They look at me and laugh. And say, like, they love me. It's weird, you know. Like, I've been oh. with a lot of their fighters. They don't get that. They get like, oh, hey, like, serious. It's me. I don't know. People just, like, laugh and, you know, want to give me a hug. It's all right. You're very huggable. So, like all right. so if I want to join your gym, where do I go? 4510 West Hacienda, Hacienda in Arville. Uh, yeah, 702-336-7443. And uh, we're brand new, man. So... Just got classes at 6 p.m. Monday through Friday. As we grow, I'm going to add morning classes, 11 a.m. Saturday. And it's fun. It's, the name of the game is, like, to have come in here, learn, get in great shape. But you're not trying. You're not obsessing on your body and doing boring stuff. You're learning and having fun. And no assholes, you know. Bullies get kicked out. And everyone, in my gym, everyone knows how to train with everyone. That's how you get good. You work with all ranks. You have control when you go with the low. You can roll with girls or with kids and things like that. You know how to go with people you can go harder with. And that's a big part of it. That's a big part of what I hear from people coming to the gym. It's like, man, you know, like, you know, they go to these other gyms and they're a little too serious. They got guys in there trying to kill them. And it's, there's too many people in there to really keep tabs on who's being an asshole. And they kind of get lost in the shuffle. So. And my gym, nice, uh, tight little family unit, and uh, it's fun, man. No assholes, no bullies. No sitting in your car being like, fuck, I don't want to go in today because so-and-so is going to show up and he's going to beat my ass. None of that. <laughs> but I check it out, it. American Psych. is fitness and martial arts, and um, it's inside Silver Wolf 360, and we're also um, – partner up with Fight Zone. So we're going to put that name on there, too. And they're that new uh, boxing league. It's going to be boxing in a cage. So, yeah. I love it. Well, I'm figuring everything out right now. But, yeah, we got the gym open classes going on. So come on, train, have fun. Well, thank you, Stefan. I will talk to you soon. You're the best, brother. All right, Adam. Love you, brother. Love you, too, man. Take care. Peace. Tunis, <laughs> <laughs>